0: From FasterMind.co, this is Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. I'm Dane Sanders. Converge is a show about that space, that tension between the stuff you make and making money or something valuable from your stuff. The show lives where creativity and business collide, giving all of us the opportunity to rethink how we work and live in the digital economy. The moment of truth for any product or service is when you go to market. You have done your homework, you've built the product or service, the prototype is complete, the beta is ready for launch, you open your doors for business. And then all of a sudden, it sounds really noisy. It's almost as though you feel invisible. You've built the thing, but no one seems to be coming. And even though you're exposing people to marketing messages, there's a breakdown. It's as though you can't even be heard. Well, what if I could introduce you to someone who has cracked the code to how to tell your brand story? In fact, do it in such a way that not only does it break through the noise, it translates from noise into music in the ears of your customers. My guest today is Donald Miller, and indeed, he has cracked that code, and I can say from personal experience and what we've done here at FasterMind and thousands of companies all over the world, by the time this conversation is complete, you will be so grateful you invested your time this way. But buckle your seatbelts, because we cover a lot of ground in a short period of time, and Don helps us by going even further. In addition to explaining the story brand framework, he actually helps us understand why it's so hard for folks like you and I to both create the thing and tell the story about the thing, and demystifies it in such a way that we'll all be able to tell our story like we never knew we could. I hope you love the episode. Don Miller, welcome to Converge. Thanks for having me. On so many levels, we were talking about this a little bit off air, but I feel like you and what you have done, and I'm sure I am one of thousands of people who've read your work and tracked what you've done, we seem to kind of live vicariously through the world that you've created. And what I mean by that is you have painted pictures for folks and given language and given frameworks, whether it be through your personal writing or through writing where you're helping businesses do different things, like especially your newest book. But I got to believe that there's a lot of folks like me who come up to you and said, man, thank you for giving me like structural language to explain my existence and and what I'm doing in my business and what I'm doing in my life. But how in the world, can you talk a little bit about your journey from read to, you know, becoming a writer to getting involved with entrepreneurs to now helping thousands of businesses around the world in broad strokes for folks who are new to the Donald Miller story. Could you explain a little bit of your journey?
1: Well, a lot of what you're referencing is a career as a memoirist and specifically a kind of Christian memoirists, the sort of non-religious memoirists, exploring these ideas of this sort of very conservative fundamentalist faith that I grew up with journeying all the way to Portland, Oregon from Texas. So there's contradictions there, contrast there. (laughs) And then spending time at Reed College, which is, you know, at the time was the most godless campus in the country Mm. and trying to sort of reconcile all that. So that, that ended up being, you know, as I processed all of that stuff, it ended up making fascinating, fun stories, great paradigm shifts, you know, realizations, coming of age kind of stuff. And so I turned that into six or seven memoirs. My publisher loved them because they they sold well and they always wanted another one, you know, because they're in business and they wanted another one. And I just kind of came to the point where I said, look, if you know, if you write your eighth memoir, you are a clinical narcissist. I don't, I don't, I can't, that's just a line I can't cross.
0: I think that's why I can relate. That's what I am. That's perfect. That's again, more language. Very helpful. Keep going.
1: Exactly. They actually told me, but you are a clinical narcissist. I said, but that's beside the point. I don't want, I don't want to be known as a clinical narcissist. But anyway. So I had always been in business that whole time. In fact, before I ever wrote a book, I was president of a publishing company. That's how I understood how writing books worked. Ah. ended up writing a book that took off. And so I kind of became the accidental writer, although that is my temperament. I have the temperament of a writer. Hmm. But that, that was my story for a long time. And then, you know, people, Dame, would come up to me and say, boy, you really changed my life. Or, you, you know, I'm really grateful for this. Or, you know, my wife and I got married because of you. Those are wonderful things. And I don't want to take them for granted. And yet, they are also very difficult things to measure. So hmm. when you're trying to measure the impact of your life and all you have is anecdotal evidence <laughs> at some point, especially for a type A kind of driven person like me. I wanted back into the the sort of not necessarily a business world, but the dynamics in which things could be measured and or a field that would give me that. So I'd studied story so much to write books and then we we worked on a screenplay and I wrote a screenplay with some guys. Story became this amazing, powerful tool through which to study you know, human psychology, human sociology, basically composition, almost like music, except you're composing a narrative that guides people's emotions up and down, which to me was really fun to do. And I knew that story was the most powerful tool to compel a human brain. And so when it came time for me to promote what I was doing in my career at the time, which was a conference. I used the elements of story and created a framework that I could filter my message through to make it very clear so more people would come to my conference. We had a 100% increase year over year using the framework. And that gave me this thought, well, what if this framework could actually be used for other businesses? We opened the door on that. And I think our first clients were Procter & Gamble, Berkshire Hathaway, Chick-fil-A, the White House called the White House. You know, they were just people who... Clearly, we're at the top of their games and we fit in the room in terms of helping them explain how to create a clear message to get the public behind whatever it is you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it seems like a big, big career pivot and it seems like a really awkward path. But if you think about it, you know, when you write books, you're very reflective, you're processing ideas, then you have to sit down and you have to take the whole of the world and put it onto one page, which means you're leaving a ton of it out. And you have to communicate in such a way that, People understand what you're saying, which is very difficult to do. And also, you have to communicate in such a way that people want to turn the page. Well, that somehow translated into a marketing mind. And it feels like a really indirect way of going and getting a PhD in marketing when really I was writing memoir the whole time. So, that, you know, and at this point, my days are not spent, although I've got to write a book here this year, but my days are usually not spent writing books, they're spent creating curriculum and content, teaching people how to communicate clearly with their brand corporate message. You know, I'm on the phone almost every day with somebody. Uh, Yesterday, it was a multi-million dollar web browser that's being launched to compete against Firefox and Hmm. Safari and all those guys. And just helping them see how they're not, you know, what they think they're communicating to the world is not what they're communicating. And if they would just, you know, get really succinct, communicate more clearly, they would make a lot more money. And, We've seen it happen with company after company after company after company. So it, it's a fun thing. And then, of course, we get to measure it. You know, if a company is 100 million before Story ran, $120 million seven months later, all right, we did something, right? <laughs> the that
0: moved.
1: Yeah. If they go to 8 million. We did something. You know, just got back from London meeting with The Economist and took The Economist magazine through it. They have 1.4 million subscribers. So I'm really looking forward to the next 12 months to see if they can go from 1.4 million to 1.8 or 2.0. It's just fun to be able to measure the results of this product that we're putting out in the market. And so I'm, I'm in my happy spot, at least for my mid-40s.
0: Well, not too shabby. It's fascinating to me on several levels what you're describing, because on the one hand, for folks who are listening at home, it's super inspirational to hear that here's somebody who discovered a craft, was working that craft, saw some success, and kept Pursuing it wherever it was going to take you, and of course, it took you on an adventure of your own to a place that you didn't anticipate. But now, to find yourself in a place where you are, you've discovered and are articulating, giving language to a framework that can work not only for the hundred and twenty million dollar company, but could work for little old me, you know, in, in little old Newport. And I think that folks who are at home listening in. I'd love to get into some of that dynamic, but maybe a way to get into kind of the framework is to actually talk about some things that maybe you have seen commonly, especially when it comes to marketing. So as you leverage story in the marketing conversation, what are some of the most common marketing mistakes you see solopreneurs and freelancers and entrepreneurs making? And what do those mistakes cost them?
1: (laughs) I'll answer the second part first. It's costing you millions Mm -hmm. (laughs) of dollars. But the biggest mistake that we see is that entrepreneurs are confusing their customers. And we have a mantra at StoryBrand, if you confuse, you'll lose. And what I mean by that is if there's ever any moment where your customer is wondering what's in it for them or how you can solve their problem, you're probably going to lose that customer. You you, You have milliseconds these days. You don't even have seconds anymore. Let me give you an example. But the hard thing is most entrepreneurs don't know they're doing it. Right. To, to them, it makes a lot of sense. So you know, here's an example on a big level. And then I'll give you an example on a, a level that maybe we can more identify with. I'm watching the NFL early this season. I'm a Seahawks fan. I'm watching a Seahawks game. And in the end zone is painted the words Crucial Catch. There's kind of some logos on the edge of Crucial Catch, some rainbow-colored stripes. And I'm thinking, OK, that looks like the old Polaroid logo. Remember the old Polaroid oh, yeah. stripes? Sure. So I think maybe Polaroid's making a comeback. And this is how they're they're introducing a line of digital cameras. And I said to my wife, I said, you know, that's a very expensive end zone you know, they painted crucial catch in the end zone. Why wouldn't they just say buy Polaroid digital cameras or Polaroid has some new digital cameras out like literally just say something people can understand rather than crucial catch. And I said, honey, that's just a great example of a waste of money. Three weeks later, Dane, I'm watching a game and just happened to notice at halftime they were bringing somebody out to the middle of the field and there were some announcers talking and not paying much attention to what was going on. Well, the guy had a t-shirt on it said crucial catch and his wife was with him and she had a t-shirt that said intercept cancer well it turns out it's a breast cancer awareness campaign that they want people to go get screened so that women can be screened for breast cancer and catch it before it's too late and so they call it a crucial catch that is the most ridiculous thing i've ever seen that was millions of dollars to paint those end zones where if you would have just painted the end zone hot pink and said get screened for breast cancer you would have saved thousands of lives real lives. but yeah, realized. But some ad exec took their money and said, well, what's the connection between football and cancer? Well, you know, you catch cancer. OK, yeah. So what if we say crucial catch? And they paint something in the zone and nobody was involved in the initial conversation. <laughs> they're, just seeing, they're just seeing this code word that these people came up with. And it's a waste of millions of dollars. And, Dane, I see this everywhere. I mean, everywhere. I would say nine out of 10 billboards on the side of the freeway are complete waste of money. Complete waste of money because you're zooming by at 80 miles per hour and you don't give a chance to read it. And then there's some small print. There's something like some stupid slogan like trust is the commodity we exchange. Well, you know, who are you? Why does it matter to me? What are you selling? Why don't you just say that on your billboard? The most effective billboard I've ever seen is hot pink again. And it says gun show. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> it's clear. I know exactly what that is so I want to buy a gun I go to that show and I buy a gun and there's the date and it's at the expo center you know it, I think we get cute and we get clever yeah and cute and clever are costing us money people only respond to clarity especially in the last five years so that's the sort of thing that we well, folks real quick so the mystery and the clever I, I'd love to just
0: pause there for a second because I think you're right on target in that the folks that I have a chance to interact with, they are in love with clever. They are in love with mysterious. And right and it seems as though, is it that they see, like when there's viral hits where there's some degree of scarcity, almost like a, a speakeasy where you have to like figure out the passcode to get to it, like that, that's so cool that they give this indicator that hiding is somehow valuable in the marketplace. Is there any room for that kind of mystery and cleverness or like, how do you account for that?
1: I think when you have a very large brand, you can do brand campaigns that basically associate certain emotions with your brand. And so Coca-Cola associates a realistic attitude about life combined with positivity. That's their whole brand. And they're want they looking to not only find people like that to drink Coca-Cola, but they're also looking to create more people like that. Hey, life is hard, but let's have a great attitude about it. Let's Mm -hmm. celebrate some of the beauty here. Mm -hmm. That's Coca-Cola. So what Coke doesn't do is show up on television and say, we're having a sale, 50% off Coke everywhere you go. You know, they don't do that. But that's the luxury of having existing brand awareness. Yeah. What's happening with a lot of entrepreneurs is they go, well, we want to be like Coca-Cola. And so we're going to do this really elusive campaign associating sort of images and and maybe music and some poetic text with our brand. But you, you skip the first step where you've been in business for 75 years and spent $500 million a year letting people know that you're product that tastes like sugar. You you forgot that part. And so that's the first step. And I always think, you know, if if you walked into a cocktail party and you meet a stranger, somebody you've never met before, and they say to you, hey, my name is Jim. What's your name? And you say, trust is the commodity we exchange. You're just weird. You sound like Prince. Exactly. (laughs) Nobody's going to think anything other of you than you're weird. So when you're not Coca-Cola and you act like that, you just lose tons of money. It just doesn't work. There was a software company I talked to yesterday. Well, they're, they're this browser company and you know millions of dollars behind their product. And I've never been to their website, but I go to their website while I'm on the phone with the CEO. And he's got a lion in a field on his website. And I said, do you sell tickets to go on an African safari? And he said, of course not, we're a browser. And I said, well, then why do you have a lion in a field on your freaking website? <laughs> <It's just like, laughs> Does not make any sense? It makes no sense. And he didn't even have an explanation. It was just like, well, you know, we want to be about courage, and we, oh, give me a break. Yeah, you know, give me a break. Why don't you just tell people, hey, our website doesn't let large corporations capture your information. You know, Google has three gigs of information on every human being who uses Google. Three gigs. They know everywhere you've ever been on the internet. They know everything about you. His browser won't let them do that. Now, that is a great sales pitch. It's a great sales pitch because basically says, look corporations are finding out every bit of your private details so that they can sell them to other corporations and you have no choice when you open their product you're giving that stuff away we keep them from robbing you we keep them from finding out stuff that you haven't given people access to right that's what you say right but he put a line on his website <laughs> i'm just like you gotta be kidding me do you this think is like-. do you think he'll shift
0: like do you think that there's
1: yes I, I, yeah okay yeah, while we were on the phone, he was just going, oh, my God, we <laughs> yeah, have a lion on yeah. our yeah. website. Well, it's
0: <laughs> funny. Well, this this weekend, we did our conference for Faster Mind, and Storybrain was a main vein of conversation. I mean, one of your guides, Amy just came and just knocked out of the park. and But she is amazing. And the, the framework was amazing because it had that impact. It had that, like, I'm guessing you have to be pretty gentle with people because when you reveal – I know for me, when Amy started showing us what we were doing, (laughs) it was embarrassing. I mean, it, it honestly was, it was so kind of like, no duh, how did we not see that?
1: When you're so close to something and you have what we call the curse of knowledge, meaning you're so close to something, you understand it, you project that understanding onto others. You forget that on the first date, there's just a few things you need to communicate. I'm safe, I'm interested in you, and I'm a respectful person. That's really it. What we do is we rush into the room and we act like we're on the seventh date. People are like, hey, you're confusing. This doesn't feel like the natural progression of the way a relationship works. And all sales are just relationships. And so we're so close to our stuff that we use inside language. We talk over people's heads. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many people will say to me, you know, Don, the thing about our product is it solves this problem for people. To which I say, nobody thinks they have that problem. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So You're never going to sell any of it if you talk about a problem that, yes, people have, but nobody thinks they have that problem. So, you know, I just met with a gentleman who he does home construction, but he uses all masonry and he won't use very much timber inside of a home. And he said, really, after a long conversation, it was indeed very fascinating to me because my wife and I are building home. But he said, Don, we have a serious problem. He was kind of using story brand technique as he was trying to Mm -hmm. filter his message story. I said, what's our problem? He said, the homes that we're building, they're going to fall apart in 500 years. <laughs> I said, that is, that is not my problem. That's like, uh, you know, I don't know who's going to own my home in 500 years, but that ain't my problem. So he, but he's solving this problem that nobody really feels. Yeah. And so what he has to do is he has to go back and say, you're getting ripped off because people are selling you a cheap house. And back in the days of Rome, artisans would come in and build a beautiful house that no earthquake or hurricane could tear down. And that's the house that you deserve. Mm. Well, now I realize there's this villain selling me a cheap house. And back in the old days, when things were done well, there were artisans who would never rip you off. They would build you a beautiful, strong home. Well, now there's a narrative. And I have to ask myself, am I the kind of person who gets ripped off by buying a cheap house? Or am I the kind of person who builds things of quality? What kind of person am I? So now he's selling me not just a house, he's selling me a kind of person I can become. Mm. So, you know, there's things that I think we have to go back and we have to say, look, I'm so close to this thing that I'm selling something that nobody really wants, but there is something they do want. And that's the thing that I need to focus on and talk about. If I want to move more product, I can solve those other problems that they don't know about in the midst of, you know, step eight, nine, and 10, Mm -hmm. when those problems become important. But in the initial conversation, the only thing that matters is problem number one.
0: You know, this stuff sounds like magic and you're so skilled at articulating it and cutting, like seeing like x-ray vision right through it. And that's after, you know, a lifetime of really honing a skill, but your framework gives that kind of power to folks right. at home. So how would you describe the story brand framework to folks who like they're compelled by what you're describing and they get the examples and they're like, man, if I could do that with me or with others, that would be incredible. How do you describe story brand on your way up the elevator?
1: Well, I I basically say most business leaders are so close to their products and services, they can't describe them in such a way that people want to buy them. So we have a framework that helps you clarify your message. So people want to buy whatever it is that you're selling. That tends to get me a lot of business cards, right? People are like, well, I, I need to know more about that. That framework is actually seven really critical paradigm shifts. And they all come out of ancient narrative, ancient stories. And story is the most powerful tool to compel a human brain. You know, most people spend 30% of their time daydreaming, except when they are encountering a story. And when we encounter a story, our brain stops daydreaming and we pay attention. We, we almost have no choice. So StoryBrand, the genesis of StoryBrand came from, how can we use this powerful tool that gets people to pay attention, that they, they just can't stop paying attention, as a competitive advantage in the marketplace for our businesses? And I studied story, you know, for years anyway. And so I basically found seven things that happen in almost every story. And we looked at those as psychological paradigm shifts. So the first thing is, you know, in order to get a story started, in order to get somebody to pay attention to you, you have to define something that the character wants. You can't define too many things because they'll lose interest. If Jason Bourne wants to know who he is and wants to lose 30 pounds, he wants to finish a marathon, he wants to marry the girl, and he's thinking about adopting a cat— you lose the audience. It has to be very defined. But think about, think about how many businesses say, well, we do, we do seven things, and it's this, this, this. And by the third thing, nobody's interested. Yeah, they stop but listening. if you Yeah, they stop listening because you're, you're throwing too much stuff at them. The story's about too many things. So your business really needs to be known for one thing, and that's a critical point. You have to define something that the market wants, and you have to become known for it. The second you put the second and third and fourth thing in, you dilute your brand clarity in the marketplace, and that costs you money. People don't have enough room in their brains for you to do two things. You know, if I hired a plumber, and it was just a fantastic plumber, and I said, man, thanks so much. You know, every other plumber is late. They don't do a good job. They overcharge me. The plumber says, thanks. You know, also, here's my card, because I'm also a home chef. <laughs> I don't have <laughs> I don't have category in my brain for plumber <laughs> and home chef, right? It can't be two things in my head. Especially and those two very- things. Yeah. And and there's so many entrepreneurs out there. You've diluted your brand by chasing that $5,000 here, that $2,000 here. So you do this, this, this and this. And that's okay. You need to separate those brand identities so that the market can understand the problem that you solve. And that's the second thing that happens in a story is there's a problem. You know, the character wants something, but the character can't get it because there's a problem. And the problem is what the story is really about. Without the problem, there is no story. You know, the second you resolve the problem, the story's over. So if Jason Bourne gets a call on minute 13 of the movie and a friendly voice over the phone says, Jason, you were a part of a CIA training program. We brainwashed you and we feel really bad. We're going to give you a pension and a house on the coast and we're going to give you a chocolate lab and, you know, you're going to be OK. And then the next 90 minutes is him training his chocolate lab on the beach. That story is going – because we resolve the problem, the story's over. So here's the business principle for everybody listening. If you aren't talking about your client's problems, the one that you solve, if you're not talking about their problem, they're not interested in you because you haven't given them any reason to be interested in you. Right. The only reason people come to your website, walk through your door, the only people, reason people do any of that is because they're trying to solve a problem. And if you haven't clearly defined that problem and aren't talking about it frequently and clearly, you're losing sales. The third paradigm shift is that there's a character that enters into these stories. When a hero wants something and encounters a problem, the third step that normally happens in a story, although it's not sometimes it's not in this order, but this step usually happens, a guide enters the story. This is Yoda, Obi-Wan Kenobi. This is Haymitch in Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. This is Lionel in The King's Speech. This is Peter Brand in Moneyball for Billy Bean. Mm-hmm. These characters come in, and the sole purpose of this character is to help the hero Find some clarity, and they usually give them a plan that they can enact in order to resolve their problem and live happily ever after. That character has been around in stories since the days of Plato. Uh, More than 2,000 years, this character has been around. Well, the reason that character is in the story is because human beings seek that character in their daily lives. A major problem that happens in brand narratives is that the brand itself tries to play the hero in the story, but nobody's looking for another hero, they're looking for a guide. They're looking for this person who can help them win the day. So when you show up at the cocktail party and you say, Don, what do you do? And I say, well, you know, we've got this great company. We have great company culture. We do 401k matching. We're one of the great places to work. We're thinking about doubling our revenue. My grandfather started the company. I'm, you know, really trying to just uphold his legacy. You know, it's a grind every day to do that. What this person that I'm talking to hears me saying is I'm a hero in a story and They're not looking for another hero. They're looking for a guide. So their subconscious reaction is, well, Don's an interesting guy. And he actually has a fascinating story. I hope that he keeps in touch with me to tell me how that story goes. But right now, I wish he'd move aside because I'm looking for a guide to help me win the day. And you lose the set. Case in point, Jeb Bush's campaign motto until we met with him six weeks before he left the campaign. By then, it was too late. But his motto was, Jeb can fix it. Well, Jeb can fix it. Who's the hero in the story? Yeah, Jeb. Hillary Clinton's motto was, I'm with her. Well, if we're with her, who's the hero in the story? She, she is. She is. Or she is. Donald Trump's was Make America Great Again. That's a defined climactic scene of a nostalgic storyline. And even though he's a narcissist, and I don't think, you know, if you don't think Donald Trump's a narcissist, then you don't think narcissism is a thing. Yeah. But he still played the guide, not the hero. Now he's, he hasn't done so much of that as president. But in the campaign, he was very disciplined about it. The story was about the people. And these people found this mentor figure they're usually almost somewhat magical mm. they're wizard like they've been there they've done that they speak their language they're alike in some ways they've defined their problem immigration washington dc you know mm. he was so great at villainizing sadly people who weren't villains yeah but he was just narrative reagan was very narrative oriented And Trump is also very narrative. We're very different presidents, but Trump is that way. So you can see how powerful it is to position yourself as the guy. And you'd never want to be the hero. The hero is a weak character filled with self-doubt, doesn't know if they can get it done and unwilling to take this journey. So that's how you want to position your brand and feel free, but you're not going to make any money.
0: That last part is fascinating to me, Don, because what I'm hearing you say is even though folks might have a propensity to be – to want to unconsciously or whatever position the company as the hero, there's actually far more strength in taking the second seat – as the experienced, authoritative, I've been there, I get that guide.
1: The guide is the only character in the story that is consistently strong throughout the story. Interesting. And so when you position yourself as the guide, you're positioning yourself as the strong one. Hmm. When you're positioning yourself as the hero, you're positioning yourself as the weak one who is being transformed. A lot of companies position themselves as victims. Hmm. You know, I mean, Hillary Clinton, for a big chunk of that campaign, positioned herself as a victim. She went back and forth between victim and hero, but she never played guide. And as much as we feel sorry for victims and we have sympathy for victims, they can't – A victim, nobody follows a victim. Nobody's looking for a victim to be their leader. So, you know, she stepped in a couple traps. And a lot of this goes from – you know, it very quickly, Dane, goes from marketing advice to therapy. (laughs) Like, you know, some of us – Yeah, when you're talking about leadership, it's literally like you can't walk into the room to fulfill your heroic story. You have to walk into the room to fulfill their heroic story. That's what a leader does. It's a servant position. But it's a very strong position. It's a position that they've been there. They've done that. They've conquered that demon. They already beat that goal or that problem. They've resolved that problem in their backstory. And now they can help you do that. That's the person that we're looking for. And so positioning ourselves as the guide is the key. Then there's a plan. You want to give your people a three-step plan. In my book, Building a Story Brand, I talk about why three steps are so important. They basically make people are very intimidated to do business with you because for reasons you know, you and I may not understand, because we're so close to what we offer. But if they're hearing about it for the first time, you know, scheduling an appointment or calling and putting some money on the line is a giant step. So you want to give them three steps, and I, I outline how to do that in the book. Then you want to call them to action. You'd be amazed at how many companies on their website don't ask people to buy anything; they just say contact or learn more or get started. If I walked up to a, you know, I'm married now, but in my single days, if I walked up to a woman at a cocktail party and just pointed at myself and said, "Learn more." <laughs> It's just weird, right? Or, weird. or worse, if I pointed at myself and said, get started. It's just, it's just very strange. You know, so it, it's passive aggressive language. And so earlier in the interview, you asked, what do you do with these people who want to be kind of mysteries? You know, they want to be like the speakeasy down the street that you have to have a code word to get in. And I would I would say that is textbook passive aggressive. What that says is they're hiding. I, they're hiding. I don't believe in my product. I don't believe in enough to boldly sell it. I don't believe I actually have a resolution. To the problem. This whole campaign is really about me being cool rather than me serving you. And that's just another way to play the hero. Now, of course, we can point to a few speakeasies and say, but see, it works for them. Well, for every speakeasy that it works for, I can show you 999,000 businesses that don't do that and make a ton of money. So you just play <laughs> the odds. Because <laughs> there are not very many Nordstroms that turn off the lights and lock the doors and hide from you, right? That's just not how you make money. So I think there is a trendiness to that that can kind of work. But even then, what you're selling is the trendiness. You're selling a bar as a fashion brand and people want – you're selling exclusivity. Mm. And that is a – that's what the people are actually buying and you're actively selling it. You're actively selling something they want and that is exclusivity and so you have to understand if you're going to take that route what you're actually selling you're not selling liquor you're not selling cocktails you're selling exclusivity and you need to understand that and that's why you know some people will pay people to stand in line on opening day to make it look like you can't get in right you know it's there's an exclusivity factor that can come sometimes be great but in my opinion you know a lot of that stuff is a waste of time for 99.9 percent of brands
0: I'll be back with the rest of the conversation right after this short break. This episode of Converge is brought to you by White House Custom Color, the most customer-centric photo lab around. They just do it better. If you are a professional in need of any images in print, whcc.com is your answer. Either use them yourself or make sure your photographer does. whcc.com, the official sponsor of the Business of Creativity Podcast. Just as, uh, you know, one more in the pile of case studies, when we came across this, it was so fascinating. So I reconnected with Amy, again, went to college a couple decades ago, and she was looking at at our stuff at FasterMind, and she was gracious enough to, because of our friendship, spend some time and kind of do a deep dive in the thing. And In a text message, she was like, I think what you actually do is this, and she sent me this text message, and I immediately got it, and I didn't respond right away, and she told me later that it was actually, it caused some insecurity in her because she was like, I wasn't <laughs> responding. But I the reason I wasn't is because I immediately forwarded it to my business partner and we both were just staring at each other going like, we've been working on this for five years yeah. and we hadn't found market fit. And we knew what we were providing was valuable, but we just didn't find, it was just, it wasn't breaking through the noise. And she, and she got us better than we got us. In a text message. So we immediately hired her <laughs> and uh-huh. we redid our deal and did our event. And at our event was really the first time we got to tell our story in this framework. And Don, it was, this is not a hyper, this is not, it was magnificent in the room. Like half the room bought our highest ticket item, which is this year long subscription. Yeah. Like there, like done. Yeah. And it was just, it gave us this infusion of optimism and a sense of like, we believe in our product better than we did before, and I'm wondering too: Is are there these ancillary benefits when folks not only when they get they line up their narrative, they it now is music to the ears of their potential customers. They understand it, they get it. But I'm guessing there's this, these these other benefits. That at least we feel like we're experiencing internally
1: as a team where we feel yeah. like we get it
0: too. Can you comment on that a little bit?
1: Yeah, that is an ancillary benefit. And we would talk about that, except we'd be breaking our own rule that you don't want to talk about everything you offer because people don't have room in their heads for that. So what we really offer is, you know, the main thing that we offer is a filter that filters your communication. And then you use that to populate websites, email blasts, your keynote speeches, just the way that you, an elevator pitch the way that you talk about your business completely Mm -hmm. changes and it changes in such a way that we hear over and over half the room bought our thing. And you know, that sort of thing. But the key again, is to take all these facts about your company and leave a lot of them on the editing room floor, rearrange them in such a way that they're extremely interesting. So if I said to you, Dane, you know, I have a cousin, his name is Ronnie. He's a great guy. He actually lives in Houston and he has a job as a cabinet maker. He, He apprenticed under his dad and Ronnie and I, Really, the only place we really connect is with motorcycles. We'll ride motorcycles together. Okay, that's one way I can start a story, right? Another way I can start a story is my friend Ronnie and I rode dirt bikes on back trails across America, and we came to this sliver of the Grand Canyon that is still a quarter mile wide. And Ronnie said, Don, we're going to try to jump it. Now, which story is more interesting?
0: (laughs) Especially when you add that dramatic pause at the end. I'm like, where do I buy my ticket? Are you kidding me? That's that's amazing. But what
1: I did was – by the way, this story is complete fiction. My (laughs) cousin Ronnie and I don't ride motorcycles. But what I did was I took out all the stuff that nobody cares about. Now, I can't take that out of my actual business because that's how I do business. But people don't need to know all the nuts and bolts of how I do business. They need to know what's interesting to them. And the most interesting part to them is – A story question, are they going to be able to jump these motorcycles across the Grand Canyon? And so when we start out by saying, look, you know, most roofers are selling you a roof that in 10 years needs to be replaced, but it's ridiculous. The products exist for these things to last 100 years, and they're only about 50% more expensive. Well, that begs a story question. Why in the world would I put a roof on my house that doesn't, you know what I mean? And so you want to start with that sort of thing. I, I just had lunch, literally came from lunch to this podcast interview. I had lunch with a gentleman who works at a clothing store. It's a men's upscale clothing store. And he said, Don, look at our website. And I just cringed, you know, it was just awful. But I bought a suit at the store, so I knew what they did. And, you know, how do they say they've got so many suits, they've got sweaters, they got belts, they got shoes, they've got, you know, how do you what should the website say? And he said, you know, Don, we're just an old, fuddy store. I mean, our owner is old. Our clientele is mostly old. And we got a bunch of young guys working there. are dealing with these old guys. We don't know how to modernize this. And I said, well, that's exactly it. You sell nostalgia. You sell a buying a suit experience was better in the 50s than it is now. And we're bringing it back. You see what I'm saying? Now, now there's a differentiator And what you're really selling me is this customer service experience where you spend time you get to know my story. And you talk to this guy and he said, I just want to know people's story and I want to dress them for their story. What a beautiful, I mean, have you ever got a suit from a guy who says anything like that? I love that. Yeah. So I'm like, well, why isn't that on your website? It's driving me crazy. (laughs) You know, those are the sorts of things that open a story question and make me want what it is that you have. So that's really the key. And I'd be, you know, robbing your eyes if I didn't say there's two more aspects. Yes, yes. Of story brand framework, and that's success and failure. You have to tell people what will happen if they buy your product. Will it be good? And show me that. Tell me that. Show me and tell me what my life will look like if I buy your product, and also show and tell me what my life will look like if I do not. There must be stakes in the story that you're guiding me into. Otherwise, there's no reason for me to take a step with you. There's no reason for me to buy your product. The key paradigm shift to all of it, though, is this: stop telling your story and start inviting people into a story that one paradigm shift is worth a lot of money. Stop telling your story and start inviting people into a story and that will change everything about how you do business, and certainly the way you talk about your business.
0: Well, friends, as you're listening to this, I hope you're as compelled as we were when we first came across these ideas. And Don, you have been so gracious. I mean, normally people who I've known who've had access to what you offer have gone through, they paid appropriately significant amounts of money to you know, attend your in-person workshops, your online workshops, and those immersive experiences are incredible. But you've actually taken the golden of these hills and put them in your new book and it's available to everybody I, i'm just i've been in conversations literally in the last 48 hours with multiple people i think i sell a lot of your books <laughs> i'm running around talking about what it's meant for us and our company and but i said like and they all say like oh we can't afford it we can't i'm like you can afford 15 bucks
1: like say so it's, right it's all right there for 15 bucks and from there's there's other ways where you can get alone with us and you can figure it out on a timeline but we spared nothing in the book. It's all in the book.
0: It is. And I'll attest to that. Everything. And in fact, you added more than I anticipated because it was not only the framework, but then all those applied pieces at the end, specifically around, you know, how do you instantly turn your website around and fix on your email campaigns or whatever you're doing the power of a story brand of a brand script i could not encourage it more for everyone who's listening you must 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 go to amazon immediately google story Brand and, and get on there and you also have that other tool could you just comment a little quick yeah just quickly on the online tool
1: well inside of building a story brand if you go to chapter three it will drive you to a piece of software And in my opinion, it's the best storytelling software that you can get, at least on the Internet. And it's free. And it basically allows you to type in the seven categories that I just talked about. There will be prompts that will ask you a question. If you answer seven, really eight questions inside of this brand script, you will literally look at your brand and go that's it that's what we offer i've been trying to figure that out for so long but that's what we offer so building a story brand explains how to use the software if you want to go straight to the software just go to mystorybrand.com and you can fill out a brand script there. I think you get to fill out 10 of them for free. And so, wow. you know, that's t- if you have 10 different businesses, you have 11 different businesses, you're out of luck. But if you've got 10, <laughs> you're going to nail it.
0: <laughs> well, Donald Miller, thank you on behalf of thousands, millions out there. We are so grateful for this particular contribution, but all the other stuff you've done over the years. And I'm just so, so honored that you took the time to be with our audience.
1: Well, you've been wonderful. I've very much enjoyed our
0: time. This is season three, episode 13 of Converge, the business of creativity podcast. Converge podcast is brought to you by fastermind.co, where we help entrepreneurs go from knowing to doing. Get started free today by finding out your FasterMind owner score. Go to fastermind.co. Music for this episode provided by triplescoopmusic.com. What does your story sound like? This episode was mixed and produced by Podcast Fast Track.